It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Krista Moser has the greatest friends that have come alongside her to use their talents so that Krista can shine in her talents. Starting quilting at such a young age, she now has the wisdom and knowledge to teach others this wonderful art. From teaching to creating patterns and tools for the quilting world, she is quite busy, and I'm so thankful for her taking time out of her busy schedule to visit with me. Krista, thank you so much for joining me on A Quilter's Life and taking your time out of your busy schedule to share your story with us. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. As I always start, tell me about where you were born and raised. Well, not too far from where I actually live now. I'm in western Washington, so I'm north of Seattle, about 45 minutes. And I was born maybe only about 15 minutes from where I actually live now. So Everett, Washington, and didn't live there all that long, was raised kind of in the Snohomish County area and still reside in the Snohomish County area. Kind of a little farming community, actually. So not too many of those left in Western Washington, but a lot of farmland around me now. It's very pretty. I bet it's nice to look out at that. Yeah, it sure is. Can you share a special childhood memory? If I could narrow it to one, you know, I come from a big family. I'm one of seven kids and I'm right smack in the middle. So older siblings and younger siblings. And I was homeschooled all along. Now I'm the only one of my siblings that was actually homeschooled all the way through. All my siblings went to school at some point, but I just didn't really have any interest in school. (laughs) I'm dyslexic. And so I actually had a really hard time learning to read. And that was a big part of why I was homeschooled and had a tutor and stuff. And so a childhood memory for me would be like learning to sew really early on. But even before that, that was when I was eight years old. So, you know, what happened before that? I was just a really crafty, really creative kid. And my parents kind of fostered that. So we had five acres and it was a lot of outdoor playtime, a lot of building forts and whatnot. But I was always trying to create stuff out of whatever was laying around. So yeah, the specific memories are, oh, plentiful, (laughs) plentiful. It was a very creative childhood. I'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) My mind is jumping to your dyslexia and (laughs) you do such good work with your quilts and quilt patterns. I know this probably should be later (laughs) in the podcast, but... (laughs) It's a big part of why I do what I do, you know? It's funny because, of course, I don't know what it's like to not be dyslexic, right? So it is just the way my brain works. But I just wonder if there isn't something about that that isn't the reason that I do what I do. I'm just really visual and very hands-on, which is typical of dyslexia. So real tactile and very much like roll my sleeves up and get in there and do it. And that's the way I learn. And always did even as a kid so I design extremely visual patterns now and that's because I learn in a very visual way you know and so I thought if 
some designer had designed the patterns the way I do now, I probably would have hugged them (laughs) as a kid. But I actually started in the garment world. I was a garment sewer until I was about 12 years old. And I don't know, you know, if you've ever done garments, but the patterns, they do tend to have visual aids, you know, drawings and whatnot, but they're not super explicit. So I just kind of had to, a little bit by Braille, right? Learn by putting these shapes together. In the case of clothing, it's like two legs of a pair of pants. They tend to look the same, (laughs) no matter what the pant pattern is, you know. So there's some things that you just learn, but I really attribute the way my brain works to being dyslexic. And that's a big part of why I design the way I do now, for sure. Yeah. I have a son with dyslexia and we were talking about the two sides of the coin. And he said, mom, there's three sides. (laughs) (laughs) And he was right. There's that edge around it. He's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what I'm picturing with. Yeah. With what you're dealing with in making your patterns. <laughs> right. <laughs> so besides quilting, did you have other employment? Yeah, employment. You know, I actually started, my first job was in a quilt shop. So they actually hired me when I was only 14 years old. And I know other states are like this, but in Washington state, you can hire an underage person for a certain number of hours per week. And so they got, I guess, the license or something to be able to do that. And they hired me when I was 14. So it was officially my first job, you know, and I had that job for nine years. I worked there for quite a while. And then I did other things. You know, I worked part-time in this quilt shop. And then I went on to be a dental assistant for a couple of years, which is not necessarily part-time, but somewhat part-time. So I was able to do the two simultaneously. I would work at the quilt shop on the weekends and like one day during the week and then teach classes in the evenings. Meanwhile, I was a dental assistant for four days a week. So I did that for a while. And then I actually taught preschool. I love kids. I think they're so funny. And so I taught preschool for a couple of years there where like I taught like a morning preschool session and then would do machine quilting in the afternoons and teach quilting classes in the evenings. And then work at the quilt shop, you know, on the weekend. The quilt thing has always been the consistent. And I did some other things kind of in there before doing full-time quilting, which actually happened kind of in my early 20s. So since then, I really haven't had another career, I suppose. Quilting was always, always a consistent, you know, it's funny. I thought I would have to have a regular career. I would have to have a real job that paid the bills and I could quilt in my spare time in the evenings and off time, you know, do what I really wanted to do in sort of my spare time. And so I was going to school to be a dental hygienist. And I thought that was going to be my official career because I could work three days a week and the rest of the time I could just quilt. I just thought, I hate this. I never want to do this. I don't want to go to work. I don't, (laughs) I don't like this at all. And so I quit. (laughs) I just said, I think I'm just going to have to figure out a way to make quilting the permanent thing. And it's worked out. You mentioned you live really close to where you were born and raised. Mm-hmm. Now, I take it since you started working at the quilt shop when you were 14, that you really didn't move out of that area at all. Is that- right. <laughs> it's true. Um, good observation, Derek. As a matter of fact, 
my parents, so I said a big family, and my parents had actually met and got married in Hawaii. And so they moved back to Washington State in the 80s, just before I was born. And my mom never forgave my dad. She was a sun baby. She wanted to be in the sunshine. And then here we are in Washington State. And well, it rains a lot. And so finally, she convinced him to move to the sunshine. So they were going to move back to Hawaii when I was only like 16. And so it was like, okay, fine, we're gonna sell the house and move back to Hawaii. And I was 16 years old. And I'd been working at this quilt shop for two years at that time. And I was teaching a lot of classes in the evening and doing machine quilting on my domestic machine. And I just figured I was starting to build essentially a little business. And I thought, there's no way I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) And so (laughs) I I said, well, you guys can do whatever you want, but I'm staying here. So I actually, at that time, you know, just at that age, I moved out on my own into a little studio apartment and I rented it from a gal who I also worked with at the quilt shop that had been an artist studio on the back side of her property. So she rented it to me for this really modest amount. So, you know, a 16 year old could afford it and kept an eye on me, you know, but I had my own little garage and everything I needed, kitchen and bathroom and washer and dryer. And I was set. I mean, at that point, I was pretty much tethered to the quilting world and the quilting world in Washington and never really looked back, just kind of kept at it. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the long story, but it's a pretty charming one, too, because I still (laughs) I think to myself, I mean, who would hire a 14 year old and then who would rent to a 16 year old? And well, I'm just happy it all worked out. (laughs) Well, I am trying to picture the look on your parents face when you said. I'm not going. (laughs) You know, I think my whole life, I mean, they'd had 16 years of that, you know. (laughs) And my mom, when I was a kid, and I don't know how old I was, maybe seven, eight, nine, something like that. I remember us driving, you know, all the kids and I'm in the back of the Suburban. And I remember her just being so exaggerated at what I was saying or whatever I was chattering on about. And she just said, gosh, why are you so intense? (laughs) it just makes me laugh now because I guess that was probably the truth you know I just had an agenda from like the time I was tiny it was like I'm gonna sew for the rest of my life I mean and that was from the age of eight years old when I got put in sewing class which was like the best thing to ever happen I just all I wanted to do was sew and I, I don't know I think my whole world was just I'd sort of lock onto something and it was like just (laughs) <laughs> this is it. <laughs> but that comment makes me laugh. I'm like, oh, I just probably wrung her dry. <laughs> Are there any other crafts that you have done or that you do? Not to the degree of sewing and quilting. Like I said, I started with garments. And so I still make my own clothes. Not all of them, but many of them. I really do like garment sewing. I don't do it for other people, but I'll make my own wardrobe stuff. So I love that. And I love puzzles, of course, but quilts are kind of like puzzles. So if I had my choice, I'd probably make a quilt instead of build a puzzle. I love to exercise. I have brothers. And so it's kind of a big, you know, tomboy, ride bikes, climb trees, that sort of stuff as a kid. And so sort of into sports over the years, nothing real organized, but I definitely take time to exercise every day. And I think 
that's probably the second thing that I definitely make time for aside from, you know, eating and drinking water. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think any of your hobbies show up in your quilting? Probably. As far as like design concepts and ideas and where you come up with these things, it's like you just come up with ideas everywhere. If your eyes are open, you know, and you're looking around you. One thing I didn't mention, my dad is an architect. And so I grew up in a house where we were always talking about design. He would point out different things in architecture on buildings or structures or new construction. If we were driving by something, he would point out stuff. And so I guess my whole childhood and now as an adult, it's just like you just look around everywhere and there's always inspiration around you to just like, oh, that's a cool concept or I've never seen that kind of thing done before. What a trick of the eye to make these shapes sort of turn into that shape. And you see how that's done on manhole covers in the street and tile patterns at the hardware store. So I wonder, you know, I think, yeah, everything feels like it just feeds the curiosity, the next thing and the next thing. And I feel like my whole life probably is wrapped into in tangent one way or another, into quilting and the designs that end up coming out of it. Well, you are a master at describing things. I think everyone (laughs) can picture that manhole cover. I love it. (laughs) How were you introduced to quilting when you were doing your garment sewing? Yeah, it's quite a story. My parents put me in the sewing class. It was because I couldn't read, you know, and my dad is an architect and he actually is also dyslexic. So that's a big part of it because he picked up on why I was struggling. And he said to my mom, gosh, I think I know what's going on. She's like me, you know, she's dyslexic. And they hadn't gotten me diagnosed yet, but he could just tell I was doing the same sort of things. I was excelling in the same areas that he had excelled as a child, but I was also struggling in the same areas that he had struggled. And so he said, we need to get her into something creative. She's going to excel there and it'll take her mind off of where she's struggling. And so my mom opened the community newspaper and she found a kid's sewing class at the local fabric store. And this was like in the early 90s. We didn't have the big box stores really quite yet, not in my neighborhood anyway. And so this little small town fabric store was offering kids classes. So she signed me up and I just took to it like duck to water. I mean, it was like a clouds parting moment. I remember the first day just thinking that was the coolest thing I'd ever done. And all they had me do was sew straight lines through paper. And I just wanted to go back and do more so bad. I mean, I was (laughs) was so eager. And of course, a sewing machine is a pretty cool tool to be able to use when you're a little kid. It's like getting the sharp kitchen knife and having your mom trust you with it. It's like, oh, this is kind of dangerous. And yet it's very cool what you can do with this thing. So (laughs) over the years, this little fabric store turned into a quilt shop because the big box store started to move into town. And so they started kind of moved really towards quilting, which they had been kind of a variety shop. I mean, you could buy buttons and zippers and all the things you needed for garments there. And then they started to move away from that into the quilting world. And that's how I sort of got introduced to quilting is because the whole shop sort of changed around me. And it was cool because I really liked the quilts. You know, I didn't know 
in my world, it's like you could make a lot of clothes because you wear a lot of clothes. And I thought to myself, well, I could make a quilt for my bed, but I didn't have an idea of making like dozens and dozens of them because, you know, you just need one for your bed. And so I dabbled with it, you know, at about the age of 12, I'd been sewing garments for four years at that point and had worked my way through everything from like elastic waist boxer shorts to like wedding dresses. I was doing really intricate stuff by the time I was 12. So my teacher, she was exceedingly patient, but she was kind of like, gosh, you know, I've shown you just about everything I know about garment sewing. So maybe you want to try doing some of these quilts that now were in the shop all the time. And so I got some quilting patterns and I took a couple of classes from quilting instructors. And then I actually made some quilted garments first. They're still very much garment. And so I made some, which we're seeing a lot of that now, quilted jackets. It's like, here they are again. I did a quilted jacket, I want to say in maybe 1995 or something. And I wore it threadbare. I love that. <laughs> so it's funny. That's how the introduction happened. But pretty soon that shop, because I was in there all the time, they asked me if I would make some samples for them. And they would give me the fabric, which was a very good thing because I was making my parents penniless with my hobby. And so the fact that they were going to provide the fabric was a big incentive. Yeah. So that's kind of how I got started with quilting. But the thing was, all I'd done with garments, and you do this with garments, is you alter them to fit your body. You're constantly changing things, making the pant legs shorter or the pockets bigger or sleeve length or whatever. You're constantly changing stuff. I didn't know that you couldn't do that with quilts or you weren't supposed to do that with quilts, I should say. So I would get these patterns and, you know, they say, well, you make this as a sample for the shop. And then I would just change it wildly, like wildly. <laughs> and so <laughs> it was just like, it turned blocks on point and add different borders and prairie points and scalloped edges and embroidery or applique or, you know, just change the wild. And they loved them. They were like, these are really cool. But nobody could figure out how you got from point A to point B. <laughs> <laughs> so they would say, you know, we want to sell these patterns, but people are asking, you know, would you teach a class on how you did this from that? And so that's actually how I ended up teaching. It's because I would do these little Saturday morning tutorials for the shop. And I would teach just hands-on, here's how I did this, here's how I did that. And people really loved those highly visual tutorials of really how to alter a pattern and make it something completely different. And it just blossomed into teaching evening classes and hands-on classes and people pack their sewing machines in and gosh, man, the rest is history. <laughs> I bet they would give you a pattern and just be wondering what you were going to come in with. <laughs> yes. I remember doing a series of fall patterns, harvest, you know, pumpkins, and I had a scarecrow and I actually stitched real straw into my scarecrow. And they were like, <laughs> oh, they never knew what it was going to be next. <laughs> yeah. Well, whether it's a pattern you've designed or somebody else, or just a quilt. Is there a favorite quilt that you have? It changes often, actually. I mean, I have some that are like cherished ones that I have done in the past. 
And then maybe I learned a lot doing that process. So there's sort of some nostalgia there. But as far as like the patterns that I design now, there's ones that just make me smile every time I see them. And so I would say that those would be my favorite. But I'm sure it'll change because every time I come up with a new idea, it's like, well, that's my new favorite. And then the next one, you know, and so but I still really like I have a, a couple of patterns. One of them is called Biggie the Bee. It's just a baby quilt, but it has a great big bee in the middle of it and black and white stripes and plaids and kind of very graphic nature uh, fabrics that I used as its sort of background. Every time I see that quilt, I smile. And so I really do like that one. And there's a couple others that I just think every time I make it in a different colorway or I see somebody's done it in a different colorway, it's just like very striking. So, yeah, that's a tough question. Yeah, especially when you make so many neat patterns. How about a tool that you are so happy that you have? Easy question. I couldn't do much without my stiletto or sometimes they call it like an awl. It's like a very sharp pointy, maybe looks somewhat like a pencil, but with an even sharper, you know, narrow point. I have one that's actually a pottery tool because it's extra long. It is about the length of a pencil. And I couldn't do anything without that. I mean, I've gotten so used to using it. It's like having a third hand, you know, I just pick it up. I know I shouldn't do this, but I hold it in my mouth, you know, when I'm Kind of fiddly. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, when you're reaching, like people do with straight pins, but you just kind of like, you know, and you just grab it. It's just kind of always there. <laughs> I mean, if I'm reaching for it always, because if you're piecing with angles and you have points coming together, it is the number one thing that will help you hold those points where they should be as you're feeding them into the machine. So... Yeah, I'd be lost without that tool for sure. I'm curious, is that made out of metal or wood? Mine is, and there are a bunch of different ones on the market. So I like the metal one, and that's why I said I got mine as a pottery tool because it's a super sharp. I mean, it would be like a weapon if you needed it to be, I suppose, (laughs) but (laughs) it is very sharp and pointed, and so it is a little dangerous. But there are ones made out of bamboo. There are ones made out of plastic. There are some other ones that are a little more of a a heavier grip on them, like a seam ripper would be, and maybe even a double-ended where one end is a seam ripper and the other end is a stiletto. Yeah, there are a bunch of different ones out there. And I would say you could probably not go wrong by picking up just about any of them. One advantage to like the bamboo one is if say your needle hit it, you know, by accident as you're putting it through the machine or putting your pieces through the machine, it probably wouldn't necessarily break your needle, which if I were to accidentally sew over my metal one, that could be pretty bad. But yeah, they're not expensive and you'll find them in the notions area. And I'm always talking that thing up. And especially when I demo how to piece or how to do really precise piecing, that's kind of my number one thing. Neat. So good to know. Do you like the whole quilting process or is there one step that you love more than the others? Yeah, I do like the whole quilting process. I love picking fabric. I get an inspiration and an idea and I put it in my sketchbook and I kind of color it out with my color pencils. And 
you know, figure out my color scheme a little bit. And then it's like, I'm off to the fabric store trying to build my color palette. I'll put together little inspiration boards of different pictures of a theme that I'm going for. And then I pick my fabrics. And so once I've got the fabric pile, well, then I'm just itching. I can't wait to like get it cut apart and get the pieces put up on the design wall and see if it's going to work the way it it is in my head, you know? And so then it's like, I just can't wait to see the next part done because now it's on the design wall. And then it's like, well, I can't wait to get it all sewn together and see how it works as far as like the seams pressing this way or that way or open because, you know, I'm building like a meticulous construction plan in my head of like, you know, the method of how this is going to work. So it's like all the way through, it feels like I'm kind of driving forward to the next stage because I'm just eager to see it done and not even see like the whole end product done, but more like the next stage of it done. Oh, what's it going to look like after this? Or, oh, what's it going to look like after I've quilted it? Because I do, you know, long arm quilting and, and I quilt my own quilts and so it's like oh my gosh I've got to get this on the machine and get it quilted because I want to see what it looks like after that and and then it's all the way down to the binding what am I adding to the edge to really kind of frame it in or add a whimsical detail right at the edge I love using stripes for binding so I'll do that a lot and then it's done and it's a little bit sad when it's done because it's like oh (laughs) (laughs) now what (laughs) I'm finding there's a bit of two camps here. There's people that do one project and finish that before they start the next one. And then there's people that have multiple projects going on. Which camp do you go to? So I used to be in the first camp, which is definitely more, it's truly my nature, I think, is to be in the finish it before moving on to the next thing. I think if I had to pick one that I could choose to be in, that would be the camp I'd be in. But since I do a lot of teaching and travel to teach and stuff, I end up demoing this or that. And so I have all these different quilts in different stages of being finished because I'm constantly going back to them as demo material. And so it makes me crazy. I'll tell you, it makes me crazy to have piles of unfinished quilts that are just waiting to be used as a demo again and then they'll eventually get so far down that process that then I just finish them up and start again but I probably have a dozen or more quilts in different stages like that and I teach virtual classes so they're used there too I guess I've found myself reluctantly in the second camp not because (laughs) I like to be there I had it my way I would finish everything up and then start with a clean slate the new idea but it just doesn't seem to work out that way (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure everyone appreciates you stretching yourself in that way so that you can teach them yeah well I don't mind it's nice to have some things you can just kind of a quick project I can finish up if a friend's gonna have a baby or something like that I'm like oh well sweet I'll just whip this out real quick because it's just about there anyway, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I call this my fun question. Mm. What was your worst quilting experience? (laughs) I don't have too many of those. At least not yet, you know, knock on wood, right? But believe it or not, I wouldn't call it my worst, but it was the biggest sort of learning thing that 
really stuck with me. And it was with one of my designs I was working on. This is a couple of years ago. So an earlier design. And in my head, I saw this beautiful sort of warm cream and pale, pale pink, you know, cherry blossom style quilt that I had the design worked out. And so I was working on the color scheme and in my head, it looked very soft and very girly. And I thought, oh, it's just going to be beautiful. And then I bought all the fabric and I worked everything up and I did the whole layout and I just couldn't believe how much I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And that never happened. You know, it never happened like that before. I just couldn't believe I was almost repulsed by it. It was so pink. And I'm not a pink person, but I thought it's very soft and creamy white. You know, it'll look at, it was like Pepto-Bismol. I just thought this is, <laughs> this is awful. And I could not bring myself to move any further on it. I was like, everything has to change. And so <laughs> back to the drawing board, you know, I still have the pictures of that original layout because of course I pulled like two thirds of the blocks out added two different additional colors that brought in turquoise and gray. So then it was three colors, the turquoise gray, and then this pale pink. And I loved it after that. It was very girly and it was, you know, and I absolutely loved it. But boy, I mean, that stuck with me because I just thought, you know, I'm pretty good at visualizing things, but, and even as much as I love picking color and I was so sure I had this thing just, and then it just, Yeah, no way. So I don't know, you know, if you're really married to an idea and then you really don't like it, don't kid yourself. Just say, all right, new plan. I'm not going to pretend like I like this thing. (laughs) (laughs) You'll probably have to go back quite a ways for this question. (laughs) Why do you think you make quilts rather than spending your time doing something else? Um, well... I would say sewing is like the thing I want to do, no matter what. If I didn't do it as a job, I would probably figure out a way to do it as much as possible anyway. And so I enjoy the sewing process. But then, of course, you've got garments or you've got quilts. And so now I do still enjoy garments. But I think the quilting, it's probably the puzzle nature of it. Like... Everything I do is with a 60 degree angle and design wise, those concepts work together. So hexagons and triangles and diamonds and trapezoids and parallelograms, these shapes all can be combined to create secondary shapes that you wouldn't initially see. And I think it's just like a big puzzle. And so when I'm designing something, I am fascinated by the evolution of it and how it's taking form kind of right before my eyes. And I don't know, there's something really thrilling about it. So there's a sense of gratification of like, wow, that really worked. And then there's also sort of that pebble in your shoe when something doesn't quite work. And it's like, shucks, I don't know what isn't quite working here, but I don't really like the overall effect of how this is. And then I'll change it up a little bit. So I think that probably the sense of gratification of like finishing another puzzle, maybe that's why I make quilts. It's kind of like like finishing another puzzle, but they're useful puzzles, you know, you don't just put them back in the box. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had noticed your designs had a lot of triangles and diamonds in those shapes. Do you know why you went to that rather than a rectangle and square? 
probably at the prodding of my brother. Because early on when I was designing, I had done some things with triangles and diamonds and really liked the fact that they would work together and then tessellate in all directions. And so was just kind of playing with it. Had not spent a lot of time really solidifying that as like a design concept that I was just going to run with. And then one of my brothers is also an architect like our dad. And he saw what I was doing and he kind of pointed out, he said, you know what this is? He said, there's only a few shapes that you can tessellate in all directions and they just keep tumbling. So triangle, 60 degree, equilateral triangle is one of those. And it just kind of opened my mind to see that the possibilities are endless with this shape. And so instead of just thinking of it as just shapes, I started to think of other things broken down into these shapes. And so if you look at some of my designs I've done, and we just put this pattern out, this is the latest one. It's totally the turtle and it's a big sea turtle. It's a baby quilt. But I just took the concept of a sea turtle and then broke it down into 60 degree angle shapes. And it turned out so charming and so cute that it's fun to do something like that where people look at that and go, how did you even come up with that? And it's like, well, I don't really know what to tell them. But at the same time, you look out in the world And you think there's a lot of things that could be, you know, broken down into shapes like this. And it's just fun to play with them, put them together. And I've never been bored. And so I don't know. I feel like the possibilities are greater with this combination of shapes than they would be with something that's more typical. And then, of course, there's a lot of people that are doing squares and rectangles and they're doing them beautifully. And so, That's the way their brains work. And I think they should just have that to themselves. And I'll be over here doing (laughs) doing all these crazy shapes. (laughs) They look great. And the turtle is adorable. Thank you. (laughs) Now, when you're not making quilt for your business, who do you make them for? Oh, everybody and anybody. I do a lot of scrap clothes. This is part of my like finish it and get it out of here. You know, that's my natural thing. And so if I have little bits of things left over from a project, scraps or something, then I'm just constantly trying to work them into a baby quilt or a scrap quilt of some kind, maybe a lap size because none of them are very big, you know, made out of scraps like that. So I'm giving them to people that are having babies or friends that have other friends that are having babies. But then I make so many of them that, At the end of the year, come about Christmas time, I do an auction for charity. And so I take all my year's projects of just these scrap quilts or extra samples, some of them from the demo quilts that I finish, some of them from blog projects. I've done a blog about this or that and finished the project up. And so we auction those off on like a silent auction for charity that I like to support at Christmas time. So I feel like even in my off time of sewing everything together, it's going to eventually really go to bless someone, whether it's someone I know or someone I don't know. It's going to be put to good use. So it never feels like they're just piling up around my ears and I'm not sure what to do with them. They've all gone out the door and uh, hopefully they're very much being enjoyed. That's great. 
Is there any special project you're working on right now? Well, I've started the Christmas stuff. Now I'm working on the next thing to come out is a tree skirt. So that won't be out for a little while yet, but it is coming together beautifully. And I'm very excited about that one. So that's the next thing. And then I've got some other smaller projects in mind. And maybe just maybe we'll do another quilt along. You know, I've done one around Christmas time for the last couple of years. And they are very popular. And when I do those, it's a lot of work. You know, you design the whole quilt. But then when you do the quilt along, I'm working with everybody. And I film a little tutorial video for each week of the quilt along. So it's kind of like you're in a virtual class. And it takes a lot of work, but it's been really rewarding. So I'm kind of working on some ideas for what this year's will be. And yeah, that should be fun. It'll keep me going. I'm always two and three and, and four months out ahead of wherever I am today. Yeah. It takes a while to get it all pulled together. Yeah, you have to be. But that's mm -hmm. exciting. <laughs> Before I have a couple questions on your quilting business, can you share a quilting tip with me? Ooh. One that I constantly am talking about in classes is how to make bias and straight of grain work for you. So, of course, everything I design is with a 60 degree angle, which means you've got some straight of grain edges and some biased edges. And the combination of those happen all the time. And so where squares and rectangles, you're always working with straight of grain or cross grain edges. And with these kinds of angles, you're going to have some bias, which tends to stretch. And that word tends to strike fear in the hearts of most quilters that haven't done it yet. And so I uh, reassure people often in classes that when working with bias and straight of grain, if you put your bias to your bias edge, if you can put a bias meeting a bias, and this is Sometimes people say do a bias and a straight of grain together, but that will happen sometimes. But I always sew bias to bias because they will stretch together. And I try and sew straight to straight if I can. But if the combination happens where you have to sew bias to a straight of grain, you always put your bias side towards your feed dogs. So put it down towards your feed dogs and the straight of grain on top. Then this is a garment trick. I mean, from doing inset sleeves and whatnot, you put your bias towards your feed dogs because your feed dogs will claw at the fabric and work to kind of draw it up and it won't let it stretch out because it's kind of clawing at it. Whereas the pressure foot acts as somewhat of a plow. And so if it's on top and your pressure foot is your plow and it's plowing that bias edge, it's essentially stretching it out as you're going. And you might not recognize that that's what it is, but if you just flip the pieces over so that the bias is towards the feed dog, so it can get the clawing effect and the pressure foot on the straight of grain, so it's working on a side that won't stretch, then you'll have much better results. Wow. I have never heard that before. That is such a great tip. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So can you describe how you went from having quilting as a hobby? You might have touched on this already but it becoming a business. It built for a long time. <laughs> I laugh and I say, you know, it took 20 years to be an overnight success. All the way from the start where I was changing all those patterns that I was doing for that shop, I samples and then started into teaching classes and then designing my own quilts, but teaching them as classes and only teaching them as classes, never writing them down because of dyslexia, I thought that's going to be what I'm not good at. You know, I'm never 
going to write anything down. And so I just would not produce patterns. And it was kind of this very strict thing. I'm just never going to produce patterns. You have to take the class. So I did that for like 20 years. And finally, it was in 2017 that a couple friends came to me and they said, you know, hey, like, we'll do what we're good at if you can do what you're good at. And he does graphic design and illustration. And she said, I'll make sure your sentences are legible and grammatically correct. And I thought, that's all I need, man, because I wanted to be able to take pictures of my process, very explicit pictures, and have him turn them into illustrations that are really, really clear because quilters are very visual. And we need a picture. Don't give me pages of text. I need you to show me, not just lots of words. So he said, yeah, no problem. I can do that. And he's done an amazing job. And everybody is always blown away by how easy it is to understand just based on the illustrations alone. I think a dyslexic person or someone who couldn't read could probably still do these patterns. I hear from people in other countries that actually say they buy my patterns because they don't actually have to read the words because <laughs> <So, laughs> they don't speak the language, right? And I think, wow, what a brilliant, that's fantastic. It was the three of us this combination, it was like an absolutely ideal fit because I can do the creative end of it and come up with all this stuff. And then I can write the instructions in Quilter's language and she can make sure that it's, like I said, legible and grammatically correct. And I have the peace of mind that it's going out the door as a good whole package. And so <laughs> that was 2017. So even though I'd been doing the designing and teaching it really wasn't until then that it fully turned into, okay, let's do professional patterns and release these little creations out there to the wide, wide world and see how people like them. And boy, it has been an absolute success and a warmest welcome enthusiasm everywhere. And some of that I just am blown away by, but it's so much fun to share this stuff. So I couldn't imagine doing anything different. Yeah. It still amazes me. All the details. It, we, we look at something and think, oh, that's neat. But then we start mm -hmm. hearing these details that go into making it so we can understand it and do it. Mm -hmm. It's just great. Yeah. Now, share your business name and tell me how you came up with the name. Okay, so <laughs> the business name is Krista Moser, The Quilted Life. So it's kind of like a subtitle in there. And it actually wasn't even my idea. They had to convince me because I was thinking, oh, you know, we would do like just a cutesy business name or something. But they had to convince me to put my name in there as the recognizable, you know, and I am glad in hindsight that we did that now. But at the time, I just thought, <laughs> Krista Moser, The Quilted Life. I laughed and they said, it sounds like Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it. So, <laughs> but I thought, you know, as far as a descriptor, the quilted life, I mean, you've heard my story now. I couldn't really describe my life as like anything but that. <laughs> so it does kind of fit. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> it does kind of fit. <laughs> Did you create the business name before or after around that 2017? Yeah, it was all at the same time. And, you know, I know that there's some other people that have really similar. And I kind of regret that now because, you know, when I started in 2017 doing this, 
even though I've been quilting forever and ever and teaching, you know, you're just not necessarily familiar with like just who's who out there. I'm not really a social media person. I hadn't really followed a lot of bloggers or anything like that. And so in a way, I was just kind of oblivious as to even some of like, now I know who fabric designers are and what their style is. But at that time, somebody would say, oh, you know, so-and-so's fabric. And I would go right over my head, like, okay, sure, you know, whatever that is. And now I'm like, God, probably should have done research. I don't even know how you'd research coming up with a business name and a whole sort of business look. But maybe it should be a service for somebody, (laughs) (laughs) you know, somebody in the know. And they can say, hey, yeah, you know, this would be fitting. (laughs) It would be nice. If I were to do it now with the understanding, I probably would have come up with something different, I'm sure. But <laughs> I don't know. My name is similar to A Quilter's yeah. Life. But yeah. my husband and I just sat down to check if anybody else has that URL. And we looked and like, well, no one has this one. We'll, uh-huh. we'll take it. So. <laughs> Yep, yep, exactly. That's what you do. And it's like, oh, you're one syllable off or you're one letter off of somebody else. (laughs) Oh, well, we tried. We did. (laughs) You do workshops. So do you remember the first person that signed up for a workshop and how excited you were about that? No, I don't remember. Because, you know, I started teaching, shucks, 25 years ago. When I first started teaching anybody that came to one of my demos or the workshops, I knew all these people already, you know, being around. And so I don't remember who the first, it just seemed like everybody was always so excited to do this stuff, whatever it was, creative ideas or this or that. I do remember having several people early on I would teach machine quilting classes on domestic machines. And this was like in the 90s where everybody was still hand quilting. That was considered a real quilt. You would have it hand quilted. And if you did machine quilting, uh, that was, well, okay, you know, you had to get it done. But it wasn't, you know, the real quilts were hand quilted. And so when I started teaching machine quilting classes, and I couldn't even drive. I mean, my parents had to drop me off to teach, you know. So I'm, <laughs> I remember having a full class that first time and being just a nervous wreck, like, oh, my gosh, you know. And then having women come in and their husbands would pack their sewing machines in because they're heavy and get them set up and stuff. These guys would look around like, where's the teacher? You know, because I was a pipsqueak. I was like 14, you know. <laughs> And they say, oh, she's right here. And they, <laughs> these husbands are like, you pay good money to be here. You're taking a class from a child. You know, like, <laughs> and I don't know, you know, in, in my mind, it did not seem that abnormal. But I laugh about it now because I'm like, who in the world would? It just is very funny to me now. At that time, it was like, well, of course, I'll show you everything I know. You know, just sit down. I'll show you everything. And um <laughs> And I just had that attitude. But after that first or it wasn't maybe the first class, but it was in the first sort of year-ish of teaching or the first few classes anyway. And I had a gal come up to me after class. We were all done and everybody had packed up and she kind of waited around. And she came up to me afterwards and she just said, hey, I just want you to know she's a trainer, like a public speaking and teaching trainer for Boeing. So 
Boeing, the airplane company, mm-hmm. and they're right here in Western Washington. She said, this is what I do for work. And she said, I just want you to know, I'm so impressed with your presentation. And I was like 15 at that time. And I just remember like my knees knocking together, like of all the people that be in my class, it's <laughs> it's someone who does this, you know, like critiques these kinds of things. And I just thought, I'm glad she didn't tell me that before class. <laughs> <laughs> What a powerful statement to a young girl to encourage you. That is so great. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I was just like, okay. Somebody saw, and it wasn't like people hadn't said things, but when she said, this is what she does, it's just like the confidence boost of just like, you've got a way of teaching that is very good. And I just was like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember the excitement you felt when your first pattern sold? Oh, yes. That was early on. And maybe it wasn't the first one, but it was like when the first one really took off. And I kind of was like, oh, my gosh. Oh, these are popular. Like, wait a minute. We had put out like four patterns or six patterns maybe at that point. And this was, well, okay, so this was 2017. So I was teaching the the patterns, but, you know, we posted them on like Craftsy and Etsy maybe and a few others just to see if anybody would pick up on them. And when they did, it was a little bit of a shock to me because it was pretty immediate. It was definitely in the first few weeks or so where it really was being talked about and shared and people were making them. And I was a little bit stunned because sometimes in my mind, I think, well, nobody needs a pattern for this. It's so easy. They could just do it if they looked at it closely, you know, (laughs) (laughs) turns out people actually like having patterns and they like things written down. And so I was a little surprised and I was very like, whoa, you know, the first time that Somebody posted one of their finished ones and almost like within an hour or something, we'd sold like another 20 patterns or something, you know, because lots of people saw it and and bought the pattern on Etsy or Craftsy or something like that. And the sense of sort of a new discovery, people discovered you and then they're like waiting for something else that you would do. It was very cool. And shortly after that, actually, Creative Grids contacted me. So I've designed a couple of rulers for them to do the patterns, but that was in those early days, I hadn't done that yet. And so they actually contacted me and said, we really like what you're doing. It was just a simple email. It was like, Hey, this is so-and-so from creative grids. Would you give me a call? I just kind of looked at I looked at my email inbox, like what? Like, <laughs> is this how it happens? You know, like, <laughs> uh, across your mind, is this spam or is this? True? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. So cool. But, your calendar looks really busy. It looks like you are scheduled out through all of 2023 already. Yeah. What does it look like in your life to be somewhere on Zoom, but some you, you're all over the place? I do travel and teach in Quilt Guild. So I try to keep that to about once a month or maybe about every three weeks or something, you know, kind of spread them out. So 
I have lots of time at home because that's where I'm working on new designs and I do long arm quilting, which is kind of my favorite sort of downtime activity. And so, yeah, I could be probably doing even more if I didn't think that it would probably kill me. <laughs> it was, <laughs> so I love it. I mean, I love to teach and share and I'd like to do that in person to the very hands-on. So that's why I travel and teach that way. But then I also do a lot on Zoom. I don't want to get on a different airplane every week. So we do put a lot of virtual events in conjunction with guilds or other shops or something doing virtual events. And those are in between the the actual traveling ones. So if you spend the day via Zoom or do a, a lecture presentation, which is just, you know, an hour or two, and I'm pretty easy to squeeze that in while the rest of your day is spent doing, like I said, pattern development, design, creative ideas, tinkering, machine quilting, (laughs) all the other stuff. It's very busy. I do feel like some of my days are a bit Tetris, like this block of time and this block of time and this block of time, but I'm never bored. I mean, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to tease you because I saw on your website, it said, well, I don't get much done without chocolate. <laughs> then it says First Thessalonians four eleven. Oh, like <laughs> I don't remember chocolate being in scripture, so I have yeah, to no. look this up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a period after that sentence. Maybe that's maybe <laughs> grammar is important, right? <laughs> but, but this is a great verse, so I do want to read it. Well. We were yes. on here. Yes. First Thessalonians 4.11 says, And to make your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you. So yes. You are working with your hands in <laughs> sharing great information with people. That's so wonderful. So I wanted to thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, I love that verse because I'm just like, the ambition to lead a quiet life, which I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty chatty, but... There's something about kind of maybe a quiet heart. And that's a big part of it, too. It's just working with your hands is really fulfilling and it's so enjoyable. And then also very calming at the same time. I mean, there's tons of studies about that. And I'm just thankful to be able to do this as a career. I'm just very thankful. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I did notice on your YouTube channel couple different videos you did instead of saying the right side and the wrong side you say put the pretty side up (laughs) I just love that yes (laughs) that came from my sweet sewing instructor when I was eight years old that's what she would say and I don't know it just stuck my whole life I've been talking about the pretty side of the fabric and so it's just stuck (laughs) those funny little things maybe because to a little kid you might not know right side and wrong side you know since you would make it a point of (laughs) (laughs) what makes it very clear yeah (laughs) but I had not heard that before and it just struck me I was like that is so cool that's cool (laughs) so you make the YouTube videos Mm -hmm. and getting to watch those it is neat to see how clear and precise your instructions are. I want to thank you for that. That's wonderful. That's cool. Like just in the verbal descriptors, 
When I teach, it is very important. When you've been teaching a long time, you've encountered almost all these different learning styles in the room. And so you can kind of tell if what you're saying, if there's like the light bulb moments or if people just look at you like it just went right over their head. And so I've learned over many, many, many classroom experiences, like how to word things or to try and word things in a way that it will make this learning style understand and then this learning style understand because they're kind of different sometimes. So I'm always thrilled to hear when people say that they find it easy to understand because I'm like, okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I'm quite ready yet, but your one on the scalloped edges. I have not used bias binding yet and it's still a little scary to me, but Okay. You made it look very, very easy. Yeah. You saw my YouTube video on how to sew bias binding on a scalloped edge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. I love a scallops make anything look fancy. You could throw squares together and scalp the edge and it'll look fancy. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us how to find your business. I'm online. I have a website that's just kristamoser.com. So that's just my name. First name spelled with a K and M-O-S-E-R is my last name. And from there, you'll see the blog and the blog goes out on Sunday mornings and I try and work in little lessons, tips and tricks, maybe a new project on the blog on Sundays. That's definitely something everybody loves the blog. So I will try and keep that up as long as I possibly can. And then YouTube, it's my name again on YouTube. So I do video tutorials. And if you have any ideas that you'd like to see a video tutorial, just send me an email. I'd be happy to try and work it into a video on YouTube. And then, of course, Facebook and Instagram, you know, the social for pictures and whatnot. But all that stuff can be found on the blog, too. So I would say the website is the place to start. And then YouTube is pretty great. And then there's a tutorials page on the blog. A lot of picture tutorials there for very specific things. And um, yeah, it's probably the best. Thank you, Krista. That's wonderful. Now, is there anything else that you wanted to share with us? It's always exciting. I think this creative outlet is, there's always something, not just to learn, but to create. And there's always ways to improve. And I just take your time. Beginning quilters, you know, if you're getting a little frustrated because you don't get the results, just take your time. It's not a race. Slow down. Use a smaller stitch length. And use a stiletto. You'll get better results. Yeah, don't compare yourself too much because that'll be discouraging. And take classes. You know, I'm a big, obviously I'm a teacher, but take classes. Because hands-on classes or virtual classes, you will learn a lot, especially if you get to be able to, you know, interact and ask the teacher because they've always got very specific things. You can say, this is what's happening with my situation. Do you know what's wrong or do you know what's going on? And they should be able to help you. And that can be very, very helpful if you've not done classes before. So, yeah. Well, thank you, Krista. I really enjoyed having you and getting to hear your story. It was super fun to chat. I'm so glad we got to do this, and I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Mm. Bye now. Bye-bye. You can 
find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.